I want to tell you about a new method for high performers, CEOs, and dads over 40 that need to get unstuck. Download this free guide, The Three Reasons You're Stuck in Midlife and How to Fix It. My method, which is in the free guide, allowed me to find meaning, fix my marriage, and bulletproof my body and mind at age 47. Dads in midlife that want the impressive marriage, mindset, and meaning to go along with their impressive money need this guide. The truth is most men are not focused on the right priorities. Most dilute themselves and spread themselves too thin. Today, by not having a laser focus around just one growth strategy, it will make it very hard to get unstuck. There really is only one physical mental transformation strategy for dads over 40, 50, and 60 that works today. Executives, leaders, and dads that need to get unstuck after 40, download this free guide, The Three Reasons You're Stuck in Midlife and How to Fix It at ShreddedFathers.org. That's ShreddedFathers.org. Today, my featured guest is Evan Neerman, and Evan is founder and CEO of Red Banyan, an international crisis management and public relations firm. He and his team have provided counsel to thousands of clients across the world, including scores who have uh, have been the targets of cancel culture attacks. We're going to speak about that a little bit today, Startup Nation, okay? Like, what's it like when you stand for something, you're building a personal brand for yourself, and you have to show up inauthentic because you can't say what's true because you're afraid. You may be canceled. It may hit your bottom line. It may take food off your table for your little babies, right? So Evan is going to help us uh, kind of navigate through that, what that looks like, what you can say, what you can't say, what you may want to reconsider saying. Uh, Evan's uh, writings are featured in leading outlets, including Forbes, The Hill, and Fast Company. He speaks around the world and is often called upon by top-tier media to provide insights and analysis. All right, so Evan Neerman, welcome to your first 100K Top 50 Podcast in Entrepreneurship. Go ahead and take a minute and just fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Yeah, super excited to be here. Looking forward to the discussion today. Really, you know, the, the the audience that you speak to is very near and dear and close to my heart because I've had my own entrepreneurial journey. I came to entrepreneurship a little later in life, but I'm proof positive that if you have a vision and you, you surround yourself with the right people and you're willing to put in the effort, it can pay off. And so, you know, how I got to where I am, people ask me all the time, how do you end up in crisis management? How do you end up doing crisis PR and the short answer is I lived in Washington, D.C. for 15 years. So there you have it. Pretty, pretty straightforward. I was I started in politics and policy and communications, spent about seven and a half years doing that, left to go work for a high stakes crisis PR firm that specialized only in crisis management, did that for a couple of years ended up moving to Florida to work at a startup. So I got to see what a venture-backed startup looks like from the inside out, where all the bodies are buried, et cetera. <laughs> and after a year and a half of doing that, I decided if these guys can start their own thing, why can't I start my own thing? And so I launched Red Banyan about 12 years ago. It was just me, no clients, no employees. I had a baby and a two-year-old at the time. My wife was home with them. So it was really a pretty terrible time to start a business. But here I am 12 years later and we're doing great work and we're having a big impact and we're we're changing people's lives for the better and it's a, a heartening, rewarding, exciting thing. And so I I wake up every single day really motivated for the day, excited for the impact that we're going to have and just feeling very grateful and and appreciative of 
all the many blessings in my life. So thank you for having me and can't wait to dive into this stuff. Evan, it's awesome the work that you're doing right now. However, when you were starting out and you dove into entrepreneurship, after you wiped off all the skadooge of politics from swimming in that for so long, were you scared? You had two babies at home, your wife, you dove in head first. You're like, I could do this. I could do this. Were you all pure confidence or was there some fear going on there, brother? It's a great question. And I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, when I started it, it wasn't fear. It was a sense of desperation and a sense of, you know, people talk about entrepreneurship sometimes as you have to be willing to burn the boats. The idea that you go to an island, you got to make it work. You burn the boat so that you have no escape route. You've got to make it work. So what did and, that look like? Like what was burning the boats to you? Like what were those specific actions where you like left yourself in like, I got to do this no matter what? Well, I've, I've, I really did feel a sense that I had to do it. And part of what was motivating me was I had left Washington, left a very stable, very respectable, very buttoned up series of positions to go work for this wild and crazy startup. And I honestly, I was, I was scared of the idea that I would have to go back to DC with my tail between my legs, having failed mm -hmm. at first failed at going and uprooting my family and moving to go all in on a startup. And when that didn't go the way that it, I'd hoped it would go, that was really the moment where I decided, you know what, I need to rely on myself and I don't want to tie my future and the future of my family to the actions of others. And I decided at that point, I need to, I need to do this for me. And mm -hmm. if it works, then I get, you know, the benefits of that. If it doesn't work, I have no one to blame but myself. And so if I go back in time, I would say initially there was just a sense of, I have to do this. I have to try this. And I remember distinctly the conversation with my wife saying, look, give me one year. And if it works, we'll keep going and we'll stay here in Florida. And if it doesn't work, I can always go back to D.C. Um, but in my mind, I'd already said there's no way I want to do that. But I, I will tell you, um, the fear and the self-doubt and the self-criticism, that actually came later for me. It came a couple of years in. I actually think it's pretty easy to start a business or a side hustle. And you can even get some clients if you're on the professional services side. You can get some clients for a year or two. And you don't need a whole lot when you're starting up. You just need a couple people willing to pay you. But how to sustain that and how to grow that, that's where the rubber meets the road and it actually gets really hard. And so I think two or three years in, I, I definitely went through a period where I was extremely scared that the whole thing was going to come crumbling down nervous that I'd jeopardize the future of my family by doing this crazy entrepreneurial thing and went through a period where it, it really was, uh, I think I was struggling with my own confidence and just, you know, the mental, the mental challenges and the pressure of being a solopreneur, which I was at the time, they can be really, really overwhelming at times. For sure. Now, I was going to reroute our conversation with another question, but because you just went yeah. there, you went exactly to where many, many entrepreneurs in my audience specifically are existing right now. They're in that self-doubt and they're either making a decision right now to be a victim or to be the victor that's going to win and, and come out of it. 
but they feel very stuck. And especially for the solopreneurs that are bouncing their ideas off the mirror, right? Like, am I making the right decisions right now? Or is this going to like burn my life to the ground? How long do I stick this out before I pull the plug? Right. I, I, I burnt the ships, but I, you know, I left a little life uh, raft in the back tucked away just in case. When do I use it? So take us, take us through that journey, brother, of what was happening for you. What caused it specifically? Like what were actual situ- situations, examples that caused all the self-doubt? Um, and then how'd you get through that, man? Yeah. So, man, we're, we're going right to like deep therapy today. I like this. this it's what is, I uh... do, bro. I can't not do it. <laughs> well, I'm game. I'm ready for it. Let's go. So, uh, I think the challenge for me came in a couple of different arenas. One was, I think one of the hardest things when you're just starting out and you're in the early stages of your entrepreneurial journey is, especially if you're on the professional services side or you're providing a service to people as opposed to having a product that you're producing, you've got to take care of the clients you have and you got to super service them Mm -hmm. while at the same time, you have to be constantly filling the pipeline with other prospective clients. And when you're just one person, you know, you're essentially sitting in every role in the organization. You're the head of marketing, you're the CEO, you're in charge of finance, you're in charge of the operations, you're in charge of HR, technology. It is a lot. It's a lot easier to sit where I sit now atop an organization with 30 people where I have people who who are doing those functions than it was in the early days where I was sitting in every single seat in the org. And when you look at an org chart, if, if a lot of your listeners were to map out the core functions of the business and you take it as like the visionary, the vision at the top, operations, HR, technology, finance, all of this, their sales and marketing, they're, they're sitting in every single seat and it can be very overwhelming. And again, the biggest challenge is how do you take care of the clients you have while constantly going out and making the time to bring in new prospective clients? And I, I think at the time I was having a lot of trouble because I also had a lot of perfectionist tendencies and I wanted everything to be an A plus because I felt like it was my brand and it was my reputation on the line. And one of the things that I've learned, which I think entrepreneurs really need to embrace is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And sometimes good enough is is great enough. And you don't need it to be perfect. You've got to get it done. And if you go into a sort of an infinity loop where you're you're just, you know, not sure and you're and you're going back and forth, your your client wants the work done. And so they may not be able to tell the difference between an A plus and an A. An A may be good enough, but if you're getting it done, that's what they're paying you for. And I think for me, Part of the struggle that I had also was on the one hand, I had this double-edged sword. So I joined a group, a peer group of entrepreneurs, which was really, really helpful at the time, Uh, organization called Entrepreneurs Organization. And they had an accelerator program, which was geared towards taking early stage businesses, pairing you up with a peer group and also a mentor, a coach. Um, this was in the days before podcasts. Now podcasts and and people like yourself who are willing to just give, give, give to the community. There's so much, so much knowledge and so many resources that are available. At the time, I was really relying on my coach and my peers, 
And on the one hand, it was fantastic because I was with like-minded people who were going through the same things and they could share their own experiences. And the flip side of that was I found it very alienating because I was in this group with them and we would get together quarterly for these, these big events. And I was wrestling with a lot of the demons of self-doubt and and confidence. My confidence was not high. And I felt like I was struggling so hard just to, to make ends meet and feeling like this whole house of cards could come tumbling down at any time. And what people do a lot of times, especially in the business world or especially in the entrepreneurial world is they love to sell and tell you how great things are going and they sell you on their success and they're trying to build their personal brand. So I would get together at these events and I would come to them really exhausted and mentally spent feeling like I'm barely hanging on here. And then everybody puts forward the best version, the best story about themselves. So I'd hear from people, oh, I just had the best. I just signed the biggest client of my life last month. And we would all cheer for each other and support each other. And someone else would be like, oh, I just, you know, I've just created this, this new resource and I'm seeing a massive spike in interest. And people had these really big wins that they were sharing. And I was happy for them. I genuinely was. But at the same time, I was feeling worse and worse about myself because I'm like, I'm glad they've got all these big wins. I'm about to go out of business at any moment. I'm feeling like I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from. I'm failing. They're doing so much better. Why am I the dumb one here? Why am I the one who can't make it work? And I, I just think people need to be reminded sometimes that the stories that you hear from people as they're on their entrepreneurial journey, they love to tell you the sanitized fairy tale version and how great it was and that it was hard, but then I persevered and then there was this huge hockey stick growth. I don't think it really looks like that for most people. And I think you have to be willing to gut out some really, really hard and difficult times. But if you're willing to do that and you can see it through to the other side, it's what I found is, is the times where I go low and I start sinking are the ones where, that are, I'm just on the precipice if I can hold on to another leap forward. It's so true, right? Those quantum leaps happen right at the edge of yourself when you finally run out of you, right? Like you've given everything, you've exhausted every possibility that you know to do and you're ready to quit, but you don't you hold on and all of a sudden the door opens and you're like, why did that open so easy? I've been pushing for months or years and nothing. Right. And then it opens. Right. So thank you for going there. I, I know my listeners right now are just like, Oh my gosh, that's me. You're describing me. I'm in this situation. And you're right. We go to all these groups and people give the highlights of their, their story, all the successes, all the wins, but they're not talking about the, you know, puking in the bathroom on Saturday night, right? Like they're not sharing the grit of entrepreneurship, right? The fails, the mistakes, the losses, right? Financial losses or the, uh, right? Not prioritizing what matters most. I think right? that's right. And, and I think the biggest, the biggest thing that I had to get over was fear. And so, you know, we had a speaker who came in and was talking at one of these events and they, they actually took the word fear and they, they said, fear is really an acronym, false events appearing real. And once you realize most of the things that you're so fearful of and that you're scared about, 
they feel very true. They feel like they're imminent, but they're really not. And if you go and you go through this exercise and, and it's, it's similar to what I learned actually by seeing a therapist who was really helpful to me at that time, you know, I started seeing someone because I just felt like my confidence was so low and I needed help. And there's, there should be no stigma around that. And I was, there was a time where I was very depressed and, you know, feeling a lot of anxiety, which then led me to a depressed state. And it went on for about a year. And I, I remember distinctly how hard it was to get out of bed those days and to feel like, how am I going to continue on? And, and the tail end of that, I actually had hired my first employee. So I had one person who I was responsible for. And that was, that was also added stress because I, I was like, it's bad enough. I may not be able to, to provide for my family. Now this person has trusted me and they're relying on me for their livelihood. So it was just added pressure. But I do think that you, you, you hit the nail on the head, which is grit and resilience is, is really the key to this whole entrepreneurial thing. And I, and I do believe that the biggest challenge Yes, you need to learn how to do things like have a plan, measure what matters, prioritize, all these different things, learning the fundamentals of how to build an enterprise and a business, not just to provide the service. But then on top of that, you have to win the mental game. And once you conquer that mental game, everything else becomes infinitely easier. And I do think the biggest challenge that we as entrepreneurs face um, are between our left ear and our right ear. It's getting out of our own heads and being willing to just make that leap and to, to be courageous. And once you actually have a couple of breakthroughs and you see, I can get through these hard times. And mm -hmm. it's, it's like building that resiliency. Then I think along your entrepreneurial path, you become more and more immune to it. And things that would have derailed you for weeks or even months before, you don't even think about them. It used to be when, when I lost a client, I would agonize over it. I would, I would literally throw up. I'd be sick to my stomach. What did we do? What could we have done better? Why wasn't it? Why didn't it work out? Where am I going to get my next one? Now I'm just like, yeah, that sucks. Okay. Well, let's look at why it happened. Let's make sure it doesn't happen again. I'm sure we'll be fine. Let's keep going. And the next night, you know, I go to bed that night and I'm unhappy. I wake up and it's a, the sun rises again. And you have to remind yourself that that's, that's just the way it goes. So true, right? This is a refreshing conversation. Uh, I really want to acknowledge you for your honesty and just going raw and real just about your own journey and that you didn't have it all figured out right along the way, uh, just like most entrepreneurs don't, right? So we really want to just- I, take I don't even have it figured out now. <laughs> we do, we do want to take down these masks that we wear, Startup Nation, right? And just show up authentically. And if you need help, at those times in your journey, ask for help. Find people that are willing to help, that are trustworthy, and just tell them what's going on. Like you'd be surprised how many people, if you're authentic and you don't show up all polished and successful if you're struggling, <laughs> and just be honest with them and be like, hey, I'm really struggling to figure this out. Like my desire is to push forward. I will do whatever it takes, but I feel completely stuck. I just can't see past this. Can you tell me what you see? Right. Like people will. That's really hard to say no to <laughs> when someone comes to you like that, just genuinely honest, asking for help. All right. So, Evan, 
how did you turn this around, right? Like, so you go into therapy, right? Which is helping with the mental game. I'm guessing that's what turned it around, you know, mentally. But like, were there any specific things you took on, habits you started doing that started to get you some of the wins where maybe you were going from defeat to defeat to defeat and all of a sudden you got your first win, then your next win and you started to stack wins. How'd you get out of this? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, part of it was continuing to see the therapist on an ongoing basis and really building some of the techniques that she was able to give to me for how to avoid going down that rabbit hole where you're spiraling or you're catastrophizing. And, and I think that happens to a lot of entrepreneurs. Oh, if I lose this client, then this might happen. And if that happens, then this is going to happen. And if that happens, I'm going to end up, you know, living under a bridge somewhere. So you go down these, these very dangerous um, worst case scenarios. And, and it's just not when you start to, you know, I walked around literally with a, with a journal and a notebook, a pen and a piece and a, you know, old school piece of paper. And every time that I had a fear like that, and it would, it would, I'd feel it bubbling up. I would write down what I was feeling, what the fear was. And then I would write down the reality of why that was not really something to be concerned about and how far removed as a possibility that could be. And I think it retrained the wiring in my brain. You know, it's, it's a, a method or a technique of, of cognitive behavioral therapy, which, which really worked. The other thing that I did was I started doubling and tripling down on getting my physical wellness to a whole nother level. So one of the worst things that we can do when we're feeling such stress of, of starting a business or trying to maintain a business is to neglect our own health. And at the end of the day, if you don't have your health, both mental health and physical health, you really have nothing. And so I started working out. Uh, I'd always been going to the gym, exercising. I started going twice a day, um, not obsessively. I wasn't going for you know two hours at a clip, but I doubled down on the things that I knew worked for me because I needed more exercise in order to burn more stress and also to get good sleep at night. I started following a routine in the evenings of turning off my phone, of giving myself time before bed to not do any work, to not think about work, to distract myself, to read. And I started treating my bedroom like a, a, no, a work-free zone, no screens in the bedroom. And that helped. I would do things like take a hot shower, or a hot bath, an hour before bed to help put my body into a more relaxed state and doing all these things really helped. And at the same time I was doing all of that on the business side, I was just willing to show up every day and, and fill that pipeline. I really believe that, that sales take, takes care of everything. If you've got customers, you've got willing, you've got people who are willing to pay for what you offer the rest of it. That's your biggest obstacle to staying in business is revenue generation. And if you're able to generate the revenue, then that provides you the opportunity to make the next moves, whether it's to invest in software or to invest in hiring someone. So the sales really takes care of all. And so even though I didn't feel like it, I would go and I would put myself out there and I would go and I would set up meetings, coffees, lunches, dinners, whatever it took to get in front of people uh, who I thought might be interested in what I was doing. And I would conclude every meeting with them by asking them if there were a couple of other people who they thought I should meet with. And that exponential effect, I think, leads you down more, more possibilities, more options. And so you've got to be continuously filling that funnel because then if, if you're generating revenue, 
you'll figure out the rest of the stuff. But the day that you stop generating revenue, the wheels are going to come off the train because you're not going to be able to pay your bills. You're not going to be able to pay yourself. And so my my recommendation would be to, to focus on the sales and focus on the marketing piece, because without that, you're you're really living life on the edge. It's very, very true. Did you used to be terrible at marketing, especially your own personal brand yourself? And how did you turn that? Because that's where I find most entrepreneurs um, really are deficient. It's a great question. And they talk about, you know, the, sh the shoemaker's kids going without shoes. And for the first almost 10 years of Red Banyan, I actually did little to no marketing and PR related to us. And that was a mistake. If I had to go back and do it all, I mean, Lord knows I make mistakes literally every day. That was a mistake that I, in retrospect, if I would have changed that years earlier, it probably would have had a big material difference in the business and the growth of the business. But there were some reasons why I didn't want to do it. I, I was nervous. I was, again, scared. False events appearing real. That my fear. My fear was that if I start doing a lot of PR for Red Banyan and myself, my clients are going to get upset and they're going to go, well, why aren't you spending that time talking? You know, I saw you on TV. I saw you quoted in the paper. How come I'm not quoted in the paper this week? Why are you spending so much time investing in your PR, whereas you're not giving me good PR? And that was what was really the main driving force of me not wanting to do it. In addition to that, I felt like also it was, I didn't want to be, this was never about me personally. I didn't name the firm after myself, even though I'm, I'm comfortable talking to people and I've become more comfortable asking people for money and asking them to hire us. At the time, it, it, that was that was a process and I wasn't comfortable with that. And so I, I was worried people would look down on me. They'd think I was a, a big self-promoter and I was trying to, my ego was getting in the way. And so for all these different reasons, I neglected to do the PR and the marketing for myself and, and for the company. And through the years, what I've come to see is, is actually I was so wrong because when our clients see me on TV, or they read my pieces in big publications, they don't get upset that that. They're, instead, the opposite is true. They go, oh, well, he really knows what he's doing. He's he's being called on by media. Oh, he's got these contacts. The opposite is true. The more I do PR for Red Banyan and, and the company, the more they see that we know how to do it effectively and they want to do the same. And so I, I had it completely wrong. And so again, you know, hindsight is 2020. I should have started doing it earlier, but at least I'm doing it now. And in fact, I'll tell you up until recently, one area where I'd really been neglecting was building an online community. And I was just focused more on mainstream press and writing my books and, and that, but I'm actually investing in the coming year in really dramatically widening the circle of people who know about Red Banyan and who know about the unique service that we provide. Because within the last couple of months, I've, I've had a couple of opportunities where we've lost out to other firms. And the reason that we lost the deals was, be, and we were told, you know, we asked the question, which is something people should always, if, if someone doesn't hire you, always ask the question of why they didn't choose you. You can get a lot of tremendous learnings just from that information if they're willing to give it to you. And they said, we, we, we liked you guys and you seemed like you know what you were doing, but we'd never heard of you. So we went with a firm that we'd heard of. 
And so it clicked in my mind. I said, you know what? By the end of 2024, everyone needs to have heard of Red Banyan. We need to be known as the crisis communications firm, the go-to, the experts on cancel culture, the people who also not just get you out of the press, but the people who put you in the press. So in 2024, I'm embarking on a new initiative to really dramatically grow my own audience and following online because I know that I've got all this knowledge to share and I want to give it away to people and I want people to recognize. And it's it's a two-way street. I'm going to give this to a, a, a limitless audience online. And in return, we're going to build our own reputation and build our own community. So I'm I'm excited for it and looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. Let's segue here, right? You said something that I think is impactful and that is, and I'm going to put my own words around it. You could throw, if you have enough sales, you can kind of weather any storm in business. And though the other parts of running a business are important, the most important uh, piece or critical piece is the revenue, right? Bringing in the revenue. And uh, I'm going to segue in a fun way of using an example like Donald Trump and politics and cancel culture. He survived the cancel culture storm, I think, in part because he had the money to sustain him through all of that, right? He had the financial, the capital behind him. Um, now, people can argue whichever side they want on that, but he... That's a guy with the biggest cancel culture target on his back that we've seen in modern day history, I would think, uh, at least in the last five to 10 years. And he survived it to the point where he's still in it. He's still in the game. The game didn't spit him out. And I think uh, him just having the money and doing his own PR and all that stuff really has made him um, thrive with, in the midst of a hurricane, right? All right, so let's segue there. Um, can I say something about that? Of course you can. Trump? How could you not say something when okay. I say the name Trump? <laughs> That's right. So look, I actually make the case in my book that he is the least cancelable person on the planet. And so to anyone who's listening today, my recommendation would be do not model your own PR and marketing on Donald Trump's because I think the, the same rules that apply to us don't apply to him. And I think he captured this correctly during the campaign where he was sort of marveling at this phenomenon. He said, oh, it's you know, I could walk down Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and I'd only get more popular. And he was right. And I, I do agree with you that part of it is is that he has resources or access. And, and the other thing about Trump is whenever he didn't have the resources, he would just ask his devoted followers to send money. And then all of a sudden he would generate tons and tons of revenue. So covering his legal costs or fueling his campaign. So he's he's definitely a master marketer. And I think the revenue streams help. But to anyone who's listening, who may be thinking to themselves, oh, I should be more like Donald Trump. My advice to you would be there's only one Donald Trump and, and don't try to be him. It's not going to end well for you. He's a unique case. And I don't think the world has ever seen anyone quite like him, nor will it again, where his playbook some people have tried to follow it and they've tried to make it their own and, and they fail time and again. He's a unique situation. So don't go with the Donald Trump strategy. It'll it'll probably ultimately you'll end up in jail or broke. He may not end up either. Um, don't don't try to be Donald Trump. Be the best version of you. 
I didn't, I didn't even know it was a strategy, the Donald Trump's marketing PR strategy. I didn't even know that was a thing, but I guess it could be. All right, so let's speak about that for a second, right? Because we have a lot of coaches. Um, we have a lot of solopreneurs that are building personal brands, and you've successfully navigated that path. Like what, how do they show up authentically with who they are, what they stand for, what they will not stand for in a world where disagreement uh, is considered hatred? How do they do that? How do they navigate this path? What advice do you have for our entrepreneurs listening right now? Well, you can show up as authentic and real and honest and with integrity while at the same time not jumping into the most controversial issues of the day. And so that would really be some basic counsel that I would suggest employing. So if you know that there are hot button topics, things that are creating polarization within society, think of an issue where half the country is on one side, half the country is on the other. Maybe that's not an issue where you want to go out and broadcast your personal beliefs because by default, you're going to piss off half of your potential customer base. And so I, I think that there's, there's a misperception that being authentic means that you have to weigh in on everything and you have to say exactly what you think. To me, being authentic means you should be real about who you are and what's of what's of interest to you and and if there is an issue that's near and dear to your heart of course you should you should be true to yourself and you should feel free to to make that a center point of what you talk about but for the average person who's out there you don't really gain a lot by diving into societal conflicts and getting into religion politics some of these these culture war issues, there's no real upside there. But it's become increasingly challenging because small businesses and solopreneurs are increasingly being put on the spot. And so to me, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous sort of expectation. I don't think that expectation should really even apply to corporations. You know, I'll just, I'm, I'm picking one just randomly because uh, there's a bottle of Gatorade sitting there. Gatorade. Gatorade's job is to make a, a drink that provides electrolytes to people who are engaging in athletic activity. What Gatorade thinks about abortion shouldn't matter at all, in my view. And yet, in today's day and age, what you'll find inevitably is corporations, large and small, are being forced into having an opinion. And you see the same thing happen with influencers and celebrities. These are people who, you know, celebrities, they act, they go in front of a camera, they memorize lines from a script, and they try to be someone who they're not. And they get paid a lot of money to do that. So why do we expect celebrities to have an opinion on the conflict between Ukraine and Russia? And why should we even care what they think? They're not an expert on that. And so it, it becomes really difficult in today's world to navigate this. But I would say err on the side of caution and don't don't jump into the fray on these hot button issues unless you're really pressed to do so. There's just very little upside. Stick with what you know and what you do best. 
because a lot of your customers, they really care a lot more about, are you taking care of them? Are you giving them a product or a service that solves a problem for them? Not where you fall on the political spectrum or where you come down on geopolitical issues. If you find yourself being forced to give an opinion on one of these hot button societal topics, and you know if you share where you stand, it's going to be a lose-lose situation, what is a successful strategy uh, to deploy to not engage, to not be bullied into uh, sharing your opinion or your stance, you have to choose a side. Well, I actually don't choose a side. I'm, I see both and I, I'm right here. But well, no, you have to choose one, right? Like, and you get this, right? They pigeonhole you into choose an enemy, choose an enemy. You're like, but I'm a peaceful guy. I don't want to go to war right now. <laughs> like, right. Like, what is a successful strategy uh, one could take on? Well, I think you just employed it actually in your example, in your setup to the question, which is you don't, the first rule to avoid being canceled is to deny the people who want to cancel you, deny them the opportunity to cancel you. Don't accept that you're going to allow yourself to be canceled. And similarly, don't allow yourself to be bullied. And so just to stick with, with the Gatorade example, I think the way that that you described it is if, if they're being pressed to weigh in on a certain topic, no, you have to weigh in. We need to know, are you on this side? Or are you on that side? The answer is, look, I'm focused on delivering value to our customers. That's where I spend my time. My personal views actually don't, don't nor should they matter to this discussion. So there's actually a way to, to very quickly and, and easily just diffuse it and just to move past it. You don't need to ever feel like you're bullied into giving an answer or, or weighing in on a controversial topic. You know, go to, go to a, a really hot button topic like abortion. Okay, most people have an opinion one way or another, but they run a real risk of alienating their potential clients or customers if they go broadcasting it. It's 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 a it's going to be a lose lose in most cases. So unless you're the exception of that would be if you're an organization that is is really dedicated to that issue, its reason for existence is to is to either ensure access to uh, women's reproductive health, you know, medical services, or to oppose abortion. Short of that, you shouldn't really be forced to weigh in on that issue. And if someone were to come to you and say, "No, we need to know where does where does Gatorade stand on on the topic of abortion." You don't have to give an answer and you don't have to weigh in. And I think the way that you you avoid alienating is you take the high road and you 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 say, look, I, I think both sides have arguments that have merit. And I understand that this is an issue that people care deeply and passionately about. You know, in our case, we make flavored water to make sure that people don't get dehydrated on a football field. And that's really where we think our calling is, and that's what we're focused on. So if, if, if you're wrestling with how to feel about abortion, I would tell you, you should either talk to medical professionals or talk to clergy, but that's really not a, at the centerpiece of our day-to-day -day business operations. However, if you want to have a conversation on hydration, I'm your guy. hundred <laughs> percent. Let's drink it up. Let's drink it up. All right. Awesome. All right. What have we not 
spoken about that you were hoping we would get to in this conversation? What's what's just kind of bubbling beneath the surface there that you want to say to my audience? Look, what I would say to to folks who are in the early stages of getting that business off the ground is don't be like me. Okay? Be the anti-Evan Nearman. Don't make the mistake that I made. Don't be so hesitant to put yourself out there to tell people about who you are and what you're doing. It took me years to get to the point where I was comfortable. There's nothing wrong with letting people know what you do as long as you do it in a respectful, nice way. The other thing that I think is really important is, you know, we talked about how revenue takes care of everything. I think one mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make, and I certainly made this mistake in, in the earliest days of my business was I was doing what they've described as show up and throw up where you, regardless of who you're talking to, start promoting what it is that you offer. Whereas a much better use of your time, you'll spend a lot fewer hours at, at events, engaging with people, taking them to coffee who are not your ideal customer is really determining who is the person the people, the organization who would really want what you have to offer and only focus on selling it to them and not waste your time going out there and telling the entire world about it, but instead really think about who are the people who you think you could bring value to. And the other thing is, is to really, and I think this is a fundamental skill that people have to develop, is the key to being effective at selling whatever it is that you're selling is not to talk, but it's to listen, to ask lots of questions and to understand the pain points of the person you're talking with. And then if you're able to prescribe a solution, which could be something that you, you provide, or, and I do this all the time, I'll tell people, look, why don't you tell me what's going on? Tell me what your company's facing. If we're the right fit, I'll tell you that we're the right fit. And I believe that we can help you. And if we're not, I'm going to do everything I can to get you to the person who I think could actually address what you need. And I think being willing to say no to, to prospective clients who don't quite fit right where it's in your sweet spot, you're going to spend more time and energy trying to take care of them. You're, you're ultimately not going to do as good a job and that hurts your brand in the long run. So listen more than you talk and only focus on telling the people, um, who really have an interest in what it is you have to offer and the rest of them, you can be friends with them. You should, you, you should be talking to them. You should be out in the community, but you know, no one wants to be sold. And so sell, sell a solution to a problem, not, not a product or a service. All right. Startup nation. How much value are you getting from Evan right now? Like he's really showing up, right? He opened up his chest cavity in the beginning of the interview. Yeah, he's just like, I'm not I'm not pulling out my cape. I'm opening up my chest, showing him the darkness that I went through, right? So that it gives you permission uh, to bring some light to your own situation, right? And so many times we're scared to do that. We isolate. Uh, we don't connect with people because we don't want them to see what we're dealing with, that we don't have it all figured out, that we're, we're slipping that we're making mistakes, that we're human. But if we do, if you have the courage to do that with the right people, you may just find that helping hand that you've been waiting for. All right. What has been, Evan, what has been 
your number one uh, success habit, right? Just for keeping your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health, right? We're body, mind, and spirit. We know this through the sciences. What has been the the number one uh, growth strategy that you have used or success habit that you have used to continue to improve in these three areas? Well, I'm going to give you two instead of one. One we already touched on, which is I take care of my health. I take care of my body. I'm cognizant of what I'm putting into it. I don't drink a lot. I don't use a lot of drugs. I don't. Um, so just a little drugs? You know, alcohol is a drug. Technically, oh, okay. I've been known to have a nice glass of wine from time to time. I don't deny that. Um, but for me, you know, exercise is is fundamental. It's it's a lifestyle choice. And and to me, it's I, I couldn't operate. I couldn't maintain my mental focus and sharpness and health without uh, taking care of my body. So that's one. The other is I believe you, you what, what's worked for me is a constant willingness to learn and to grow and to seek new information and to be intellectually curious. So at this point, by my estimation, I've probably read three or 400 business books. Whereas when I started Red Banyan, I'd never read a single one. And when I started the business, I'd never taken a, a finance class, economics. I went to my first entrepreneurs group and they started talking about a P&L. And I turned to the person next to me and I said, What's a PL? I had no idea. Didn't know, never heard of it. So if you if you stay curious and you're willing to learn and you make time for podcasts, for books, for putting Audible on your phone and listening while you're driving, don't just listen to music, but also, you know, from time to time, there's nothing wrong with that, but but listen to audiobooks, um, engage in conversations, read read magazines, read things related to your industry. For me, the knowledge that's out there, there's there's a limitless amount of information that's there. You just have to have the discipline to go and seek it out. And if you stay curious and you're willing to always learn, not think that you have the answers, uh, there's always a nugget, some piece of information within everything that you read that you can then turn and apply. And the other thing I would say is is also be willing to put yourself out there. So even the days when you don't feel like seeing the world, go schedule that coffee, go to that event, go to a conference, put yourself in a position to meet like-minded people. Because I think, Joseph, you said it right, that there, there's a whole universe of people who are willing to give you a hand and a hand up and 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 help you in a time where you're struggling with an issue or you need some some experience sharing or, or even advice. People are, are eager to give it to you, but they don't know that you need it unless you ask. Or they don't know that you want it, right? That too. Yeah. You know, right before this, uh, this conversation, you know, Startup Nation, like I did not want to make some of my sales calls. I didn't. I just didn't. I was like, I'm just not feeling it. But you know what I did? I made my sales calls. Right. In spite of it. Okay. All right. So Evan, welcome to the hustle round. This is where we pick up the pace, finish out with like a climactic bam. What's Let's your favorite? Yeah. So I'm asking you 10, uh, quick fire questions. Uh, and you'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. It's like a game show without the prizes. Are you ready? Yes. 
Look at this. He's, he's like shifted his posture. He's like, okay. That's right. What's I'm your engaged. Favorite, what's your yeah. favorite thing about being an entrepreneur, bro? Variety. What's your least favorite thing? Management of people Ugh. and their what, problems. What a terrible word. I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. It's just part of the human condition. What are you currently challenged with, uh, either professionally or personally right now? Keeping my son... Uh, close to me at a time where he's in the midst of teen angst and and he and I have have kind of pulled apart and he's he's right about to turn 17 and so I'm I'm fighting really hard to keep my son close to me. Amen to that. What are you most afraid of? Nothing. I felt like that was honest. What did you spend way too much time doing your first year in business? Doing the work instead of filling up the pipeline with prospective clients. So true, man. You get caught in the busy, the busy, right? Yep. What secret fear do you have about people? I don't have any fear of people, actually. I'm very comfortable with people. And uh, I, I, there's there's nothing I could say, honestly, to answer that question. Man, those two questions you skated right through. I think the therapy worked, brother. Yeah. What do you wish you had learned sooner in business? I wish I'd learned that entrepreneurship was an option. I didn't even know it until I was in my 30s. No one told me that you can build the life that you want with limitless income. I had always been told you have to get good grades, go to a good college, go find a job, work your way up, stay there for 50 years. I didn't even know that entrepreneurship was a thing. And so I've made sure with my kids, they've known from day one you can you can be whatever you want if you can work for yourself it takes a lot of work but there it comes with a, a lot of rewards too the old method versus the new method what's a new habit you are going to create this year a new habit i'm going to create this year that's right i'm going to be out there giving a lot more speeches on big stages in the coming year I've been gearing up for it, and this is the year that I'm going to do it in a big way. It's awesome. What's a bad habit you're going to break? Mm, a bad habit I'm going to break. Um, not being, not being diligent about letting people pull me into conversations, and being really more protective of my time is something yeah. that I intend to be more focused on in the coming year. Can I give language to that? Learning to say no more. Yes, that's well, well, well phrased. Right? I think oh. the book Essentialism was really good about that. And uh, I've read it a couple times, but I, you know, I'm a slow learner. I haven't implemented it enough, but I need to, I need to say no more. I'm, I'm very much a people pleaser. So I always default to yes, but yes, I need to say no. <laughs> See, I even said yes in my I saw, I conversation with myself. I didn't, I didn't say anything. Yeah. Uh, pick three words to describe who you are now. Tenacious, grateful, curious. Pick three words to describe who you are your first year in this business. Stressed, afraid, excited. And last question, if you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends in the eye, your kids, give them only one piece of advice about true success in life, what would you say to them? 
every single day, do what you can to make someone else's life better. And it's a rewarding feeling and, and it makes your life worthwhile. And that's the best legacy you can leave. Awesome. What's one action? I want you to give uh, Startup Nation a homework assignment. What's one action they must take this week in order to grow, either uh, professionally or personally? You got to read the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And just to be clear, I got no relationship with him. I don't know him. I don't, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not an affiliate marketer for him. It's a book that is a, a psychology book. It changed my life. I read it once or twice every year for the past 10, 12 years. Pretty cool. All right. There you go. Startup Nation. And uh, tell us where we can find out more. I know you have, uh, going back to cancel culture, you have a, uh, a download or a guide, 10 things you can do to prevent you or your business from being canceled. Is that something my audience can get their hands on? Uh, they can go to cancelculture.com and download it. And there's also another downloadable there about 10 things to teach your kids about how to safely use the internet, which is also important and what to teach your kids about cancel culture. But you you can find me if you go to cancelculture.com. You can go to Red Banyan, that's B-A-N-Y-A-N.com to get more information. You can follow me on X, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, you name it, Facebook, you'll find me. And then uh, last question, you got a book out there, brother, like in 60 seconds. Tell us about that book, man, and why we need it. Yeah. So I've actually got two books to my name at this point, and they were both written before AI. So you know that I actually wrote them. Um, the latest book is called The Cancel Culture Curse from Rage to Redemption in a World Gone Mad. It's a playbook. It's filled with instances telling you not just how to navigate if you do end up being on the receiving end of a Twitter mob or an ex mob who wants to cancel you, but also how to avoid getting canceled in the first place. And then my first book called Crisis Averted, PR Strategies to Protect Your Reputation and the Bottom Line will also give you a lot of, of, of real real world advice about how to make sure you protect that's what that which is most valuable for you and how you can also use communications to promote yourself and your business and accomplish your goals. All right. Startup Nation, there you have it. Check the show notes if you enjoyed this interview please go write a honest review. You could do that at op Apple Podcasts or any of the main platforms there. And uh, write about Evan and how he really just showed up for you. Maybe he moved you forward just 1% in your journey right now. And if that's the case, then some gratitude, right? Gratitude is using your thumbs and clicking on your phone and writing that honest review for him of how he showed up and helped you. Evan Nearman. Thank you for being on your first 100K. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, sir. And I wish you the same. Thank you so much for having me. You got it. I want to tell you about a new method for high performers, CEOs, and dads over 40 that need to get unstuck. Download this free guide, The Three Reasons You're Stuck in Midlife and How to Fix It. My method, which is in the free guide, allowed me to find meaning, fix my marriage, and bulletproof my body and mind at age 47. Dads in midlife that want the impressive marriage, mindset, and meaning to go along with their impressive money need this guide. The truth is most men are not focused on the right priorities. Most dilute themselves and spread themselves too thin. 
Today, by not having a laser focus around just one growth strategy, it will make it very hard to get unstuck. There really is only one physical mental transformation strategy for dads over 40, 50, and 60 that works today. Executives, leaders, and dads that need to get unstuck after 40, download this free guide, The Three Reasons You're Stuck in Midlife and How to Fix It, at shreddedfathers.org. That's shreddedfathers.org.